0: Welcome to Bench Boost, presented by IV Ignite, Inorganic Ventures Virtual ICP Academy. I'm your host, Mike Booth, Technical Director here at Inorganic Ventures. At IV, we're passionate about all things ICP, sample prep and analytical science. And we're here to share our passion and expertise with you. Each week, we'll bring you the latest insights, tips and tricks from the brilliant minds of our laboratory team. Get ready to experience chemistry in a new light. Hello everyone. Today I'm joined by our technical support chemist, Ashley Jones, and two of our R&D chemists, Liv Forbes and Autumn Phillips. We're going to continue with a deep dive into one of our most popular resources, our ICP Operations Guide, written by our founder, Dr. Paul Gaines. Make sure to tune in each week for more insights from this guide. Today, our team will be discussing Chapter 12 on common problems with mercury, gold, silicon, osmium, and sodium. If you would like to follow along with us, you can view the ICP Operations Guide on our website, www.inorganicventures.com. All right, so let's start off with mercury. Mercury is one we get asked a lot of questions about. Autumn, I'm going to throw this one over to you.
1: Yeah, so mercury is kind of a problem child. If you work with mercury, you've probably had some type of issues with it. So mercury, if you don't have some type of stabilizing agent like chloride, and you're in a nitric-only matrix, a nitric-acid-only matrix, you will have that adsorb to any plastic components that you encounter. So that's your container, your intro system components, your tubing. It's really going to cause issues for both loss and washout once you try to run that on your system. So the main thing with mercury is you want to keep it in the plus two ion form and solution. And so that's going to allow you to accurately measure it. But it's a little bit easier said than done to do that. What you can have sometimes, if you have some type of reducing agent where you form a dimer, so that's mercury two, two plus. Once a ligand or um, something else to cause disproportionation is introduced, the dimer will disproportionate into your mercury two plus, which you want, but it'll also form metallic mercury, which is volatile. So if that happens a long time before you're going to run your sample, you can have issues with mercury loss because it's you've lost it to the atmosphere over time. Or, if you have the dimer present when you introduce to your ICP system, that increased transportation efficiency of the volatile metallic mercury is going to cause your recoveries for mercury to be really high. So if you have really high recoveries for mercury, that's you can pretty much determine that you have a metallic species present. So that's a good way to diagnose that. If you do have the dimer present, you can boil with an oxidizing agent like nitric acid to convert all of your mercury back to the ionic form that you want, but then you're going to have to recertify that and it'll be a little bit more work on the front end. Another thing, if you are using chloride to stabilize mercury, you can have issues. A lot of people don't like to use hydrochloric acid if they're using ICP mass spec because of the argon chloride polyatomic interference for arsenic and selenium. So a good way to mitigate this is by using collision cell mode or helium mode in your instrument, and that really helps with that. You could also stabilize mercury with gold. So generally, we would stabilize with 1 ppm gold, but just be aware that will add chloride, because if you have gold in solution, it's always going to come from a chloride source. So that will still cause that polyatomic argon chloride interference for mass spec, Uh, but you can usually mitigate this just by spiking in that gold To all of your standards, your sample, and your blanks. Another thing that we recommend for mercury um, for washout issues is getting a good rent solution where you can purge that mercury efficiently and not have it stick around all day. So we actually have a solution called ICP washout solution. It is a 2% hydrochloric acid with 0.5% thiourea added, and that really improves washout for mercury and also gold and osmium. And it may work really well for some other sticky elements. So if you're having washout issues, definitely check that out. You could also use a 1% ammonium hydroxide. A lot of people forget about using bases or don't think to use bases for rinse solutions. But they're actually really effective for a lot of different elements. So just something to consider if you haven't tried that yet or if you're having washout issues. You also want to avoid any type of heating or open vessel digestions for mercury just because you are going to probably lose that because, again, metallic mercury is volatile. So lots of things to consider with mercury. Kind of want to avoid any sort of reducing agents that's going to form that metallic species and just watch out for loss due to either adsorption if you don't have a stabilizing agent like chloride or loss due to volatization and formation of the metallic species.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lot with mercury that causes a lot of issues. I think a good rule of thumb is use HCL if you can, especially if you're on OES. That's going to make your life a whole lot easier. If you're on mass spec and you don't want to have the chloride in your system, try stabilizing with gold. But even then, I mean, Liv, you've done stability studies. Even low-level mercury with gold can present some problems over time, correct?
2: Yes, yeah. So mercury in nitric, even in glass to keep it from adsorbing to any plastic, with and without gold at really low levels is really just unhappy in general.
0: Yeah, it's definitely one of those ones that is is very challenging because you have to think of mercury and nitric, even if you keep it out of plastic, a lot of the instrument, you know, the the plumbing lines are plastic. So Mm that's one of the things you just have to watch out for. Mercury is definitely a challenging one. So let's go ahead and move on and talk about gold. Ashley, do you want to kick us off in our gold conversation?
3: Yeah, so gold is unfortunately pretty similar to mercury when it comes to to stability and the HCL and the complications that come with needing to use hydrochloric and all that good stuff. So one of the questions that we see a lot when we are quoting new solutions and we're designing calibration products is that we want gold and mercury. We don't want to have to stabilize in a certain way. We don't want to have to change whatever acid that we're using. And I think a lot of people are confused by the fact that we're able to offer single element gold standards in nitric acid. So they'll see those stocks on our website. They assume, well, gold is happy here, so we can use nitric acid and keep matrix matching and it'll be happy. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Gold is one of those that really kind of requires hydrochloric acid stabilization. So we can get away with it in nitric when we're using it for the sole purpose of stabilizing mercury. But if we're needing to analyze gold, it's really gonna have to be in a hydrochloric matrix because it's just not stable with other analytes in nitric acid, which is kind of kind of a weird thing that we have found. But we can keep it happy alone in nitric, but the moment we put other things with it, it's just gonna it's gonna leave you. We also don't wanna use platinum crucibles when we're working with gold because it will alloy to the platinum. That's just gonna make your life very difficult. It's gonna throw off all of your results. So definitely check out those resources that we have on the website, our sample prep guides and our interactive periodic table and any kind of sample prep tips that you can find for working with gold are really going to be helpful because I think it's one that sneaks up on people. We don't talk about it as much. It's not one that people focus on when they're worried about compatibility, but gold will definitely throw you off if you're not prepared for it.
0: Definitely. And I think if folks, you know, any listeners out there, if you have questions about what's going to be stable and what matrix, just shoot us an email. Ashley and I work the tech support email line and phone tree and stuff like that. So just shoot us an email, give us a call. We'll be more than happy to help you out, answer questions. Because yeah, Ashley, you're absolutely right. People, I think, assume because we offer that one product of gold and nitric that they can just put gold and nitric matrices and it just doesn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about silicon next. And Liv, I'm going to toss this one over to you. I know you work a lot with our stability program. So you've probably seen a lot of silicon issues in your time with that.
2: So silicon is pretty stable for the most part, but it is a really common contaminant. It can come from your glassware in your lab. It can come from your intro system if it's glass. And it also can come from places you wouldn't think like if you work with greases or lubricants, silicon can be in those. The most common issue that people face with silicon is HF. So if you've got HF in your solution, it's going to cause problems with your intro system if that's glass.
0: Yeah, definitely. The If you have HF present in your system and you are using some sort of glass intro system, you are going to see horrible silicon washout and contamination and it will throw everything off. And this is something... You know, you really need to be mindful of if you're introducing HF into your samples or standards for stabilization. So it's something to really pay attention to. Sample prep with silicon is also, there's a lot of different methods of if you need to get silicon in the solution. Definitely check out the website for sample prep info because there's a lot of good information there. So next up, we'll talk about Osmium. And Liv, I'll throw this one back over to you as well, because I know you've worked a lot with osmium with the R&D group and working with one of our other R&D chemists. So yeah, any words on osmium?
2: So osmium is kind of tricky, but mostly just because it's kind of sticky. So when you're working with osmium, it'll stick to your intro system and stuff. So it's really important to use a good rinse solution. We recommend using hydroxylamine hydrochloride. And also when you're, so when you're handling osmium, you want to be really careful that you don't Get any reducing agents like nitric acid with it because it'll form that tetroxide, which is super volatile and also very toxic to you. So it's just a really good idea to be really careful when you're working with osmium. But again, the biggest issue with osmium is really just, it's kind of sticky, so washing it out.
1: Yeah, and make sure for osmium, what we do here at IV and what we would recommend anyone else working with osmium do is that you segregate that osmium waste because... It is a P listed acutely to- toxic waste. So, you don't want to mix that in with your regular waste. And, like Liv said, you don't want to be mixing that with nitric acid or anything that's going to oxidize and form that tetroxide. And even the precursors to tetroxide are really sticky. So, even if you're not going fully oxidized to the tetroxide, the precursors are going to cause issues with washout and sticking like crazy to any plastic components.
3: Yeah, this is definitely one where that safety officer hat comes back. I think we've talked about in previous episodes. This osmium is definitely a soapbox one for me as well, because it's one of those reactions that it it takes a little bit of time. So you might think that you're fine and you're safe, but it is very dangerous and it can be very bad very quickly if you're not prepared for it. So definitely please keep that way separate, because over time, the more you add to it, the more it's exposed to, it's just going to get worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And
1: then you're not ready. You don't know. (laughs) yeah. And another thing that I have to always remind myself when I'm doing an osmium analysis is if you're using some type of switching valve that uses a carrier solution, we normally use nitric as our carrier solution. But if you're analyzing osmium, you definitely want to switch that to an HCL rent solution so that you're not having all those sticking issues as well. And that's something that I think is easy to forget about when you're just setting up a routine analysis. It's also to be mindful If you're working with just osmium and
2: you're doing your dilutions with HCL, you're fine, but if you're combining it with other solutions, it's really important to make sure that those solutions also don't contain nitric or any other oxidizing agents in them that could cause that tetraoxide to form.
0: Definitely. Yeah, luckily, I think most of our audience probably doesn't have to work with osmium a whole lot. I know it is. it did get thrown into um, USP-232, which I thought was interesting So I think a lot more people are starting to ask questions about it just because it's one they normally don't analyze and maybe now it's added to their list. So, but yeah, if you have any questions about osmium, definitely reach out to us. We have an R&D chemist on staff who is very knowledgeable about osmium uh, when she developed a SI traceable osmium standard. So any osmium questions, send them our way and we'll be happy to help you out. The last element we're going to discuss in this episode is sodium. And Ashley, I'm going to throw this one back over to you.
3: Yeah, sodium is less of a compatibility problem child and more so the fact that it's just everywhere in everything. It's in the air. It's all over everything. So it's a major contamination issue. It's something that you really need to think about when you're working at those super low working PPP levels. Make sure you're using clean acid, whatever you're able to get your hands on. Make sure you're cleaning the consumables that you're working with. So bottles and any other containers and things that you might be using. We we leach our stuff here. We try to make it as clean as possible. But, you know, there are just some things like sodium and calcium that you're just going to find everywhere. So do what you can to avoid that sodium stuff. But, you know, it's one of those things that it's kind of the nature, literally the nature of the beast. It's pretty hard to get away from.
1: Yeah, I. it's funny. Just recently I was talking to our founder, Dr. Paul Gaines, and he was saying that low-level sodium was just so difficult back when he was first setting up our lab to analyze because you had contamination everywhere. And so this was actually the reason that they decided to put our mass spec instrument into a clean room. So if you're working with low level sodium, it's a really good idea to set up a clean room. It doesn't have to be a class clean room. Ours isn't a class clean room, but something that has some sort of HEPA filtration system and where you can have that clean enclosed area to try and keep some of that sodium and other contaminants out of the air and out of your samples or out of your solutions.
0: I've heard Paul mention that quite a bit and I thought that was always very interesting when Intergenic Ventures was originally set up in New Jersey. They were near, I guess, the shore and he said that they could basically uncap some water and let it run on the mass spec and you would see through the day that sodium would just increase throughout the day as just it was coming out of the air. So I think that was definitely one of the factors when they decided to move to Virginia was just a little bit better air quality and then yeah, of course, setting up a nice clean room as well definitely helps out.
1: Yeah, definitely. I Another thing that I would recommend for sodium. So a lot of times what we use as, our, as one of our rent solutions is a 2.5% RBS 25 surfactant solution. So that helps to wash out anything, but it also helps to recondition your spray chamber. But it does have a really high level of sodium, which you can see just by looking at the plasma. It's bright orange. So you can kind of tell when there's a lot of sodium in there. But if you are using some type of wash solution like that, either for soaking or for running as a rinse, make sure that you are aware of the sodium content or any other components that might be in there that you're analyzing for. And just make sure you allow adequate rinse time to get that out of there. And sodium rinses out really well with just water. So pretty easy to get it out of there. Just it's being aware that it's present everywhere.
0: Definitely. Well, does anyone else have any other things they want to throw out about mercury, gold, silicon, osmium, or sodium?
3: I would like to jump on silicon because that's just, you know, I I did product design for so long here that it kind of became (laughs) my problem. Um, We talk about using HF and glass systems and how that's problematic, but uh, I think a question that we see a lot with silicon is how can we reduce that HF or how can we get rid of it? And silicon, I tend to call one of the needier elements when we're looking at HF usage and stabilization. Silicon and tungsten both are pretty rough when it comes to that HF deficit that we have to account for, which is the amount of HF that's going to end up being in your solution. So silicon, we can offer, you know, in sodium, we don't have to use the HF stabilization, but if it's in an acidic environment, it's going to have HF stabilization. So I think we recommend it until we're sort of blue in the face, but you if you're running elements like silicon, you really want to look at an HF-resistant system because you're just not going to be able to get around using it for stabilization. And it's like we've discussed, it, your glass system is made from boron and silicon. So if you're not analyzing for it, you're going to start seeing it. If you are analyzing for it, your data's not going to be reliable. So I see that a lot. We get a lot of questions about it, and it's one that you know at pretty normal levels of concentration for silicon, we're going to have a relatively high level of HF necessary. So 100 or 200 ppm and like your stock high concentration solution is going to come with a pretty notable amount of HF. So keep that in mind. Please check out our other talks and papers that we have available on our website about HF elements, which ones they are. I think that kind of mystifies people, you know, which ones are which and how can we get around it. But we definitely have a lot of resources on the website that I highly recommend it's going to make trying to design your solutions a lot easier and it's going to prevent you know frustration when you send a quote you ask for something and we have to come back and explain you know that's well, just not going to work the way that we would like it to so please check that out and always again lab safety officer always be careful with hf please don't destroy your systems with silicon
1: yeah and even a lot of people think that having that silicon stabilized in sodium hydroxide is going to prevent any of those hf issues but Sodium hydroxide is also caustic to glass, so you're not really solving anything, and you may be creating more issues for yourself if you're analyzing other things that need to be in an acidic matrix. Then your silicon's going to drop out. So, yeah, HF is the way to go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, I would definitely recommend stabilizing with HF. And if your lab doesn't allow you to use HF for some reason, I would uh, recommend that folks investigate uh, tetrafluoric boric acid. It's something that we have seen. Some labs will not allow HF, but they will allow tetrafluorboric acid. It's basically the same thing. It's HF with boric acid. I think it's probably just a different cast number. It's just not on some folks' lists. So if you are having trouble getting HF in your lab, look down that avenue. And if you can't find tetrafluorboric acid, let us know, and we might be able to help you out with that as well. All right. Well, we hope you found this conversation helpful. If you have any questions, please contact us at ivignite@integrativeventures.com. at inorganicventures.com. Ignite membership provides you with unlimited access to video courses, downloadable resources, community forums, and so much more. Join us next week as we cover Chapter 13 of the ICP Operations Guide, where our team will discuss common problems with silver, arsenic, sulfur, barium, lead, and chromium. We hope you will join us then and have a fantastic week. Thank you.